Wow, pretty good, huh? All right, our young people can be dismissed, and uh, we should probably send these guys out on the road, and then we wouldn't have to put up with them at home. Uh, <laughs> uh, you get one of Paul Richmond's little tiny cars. <laughs> he specializes in those little tiny things. That, oh, no, that's great. Thank you so much. That was an excellent job. Uh, Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. <laughs> All right, how many wish you could have left with the kids? Raise your hand, please. Okay. All right, Rosette, I saw that hand. Um, all right, Luke chapter 13. We've been studying the life of Christ. We've been following it, especially from the standpoint of Jesus' teaching ministry. And this, this part that we're going to share this morning, he is still emphasizing to these people, especially to the Pharisees, why can't you see this? Why can't you understand? Why can't you see the truth? And again, not only telling them that, you know, the possibility is you're wrong about me. Is, you need to see the fact that you're going to miss the kingdom of God altogether. And there's a lot, of us, a lot of this for us to consider as we look at this, the idea, and especially when we get to the point where uh, some people believe that their relationship with God is okay, that everything is good, or you know, everything's right, or everything's fine. The Pharisees thought everything was fine between them and God. They were convinced that everything was fine between them and God, and they hated Jesus. So it's like, how is this even possible to think everything's okay when it really isn't okay. Jesus challenges his disciples to be disciples, not just believers. And to be a disciple means I need you to deny yourself and, and be willing to give up your life and to follow me. And, it's, and there is a, there's a sacrifice involved. And Romans 12 talks about when Paul writes to the Romans, he talks about being a living sacrifice, giving yourself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is the least you can do. It's your reasonable service. Lots and lots of people believe and put their faith and trust in Christ, but very few are disciples to the point where they're willing to actually give up their life. Pharisees um, are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people, and Jesus says that they're, they're definitely not my disciples, and they're false shepherds. They're spiritually blind. They're hirelings. They are looking for men's applause, and they've refused the Messiah. He tells the people and tells the disciples, please do not worry about the things of this life, uh, don't worry about the physical threats. Don't worry about the, uh, the abundance of possessions. I'll take, care of, I'll take care of all those things. He says, I need you to focus on God, and I need you to focus on eternity. I need you to be ready when I return. I need you to be watching and working. I, I'm looking for those that will be faithful in their service. God expects and rewards faithful service. It is, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And again, it is, not, it is not, again, not a comparison between you and anybody else, but it's like you are, you've been, uh, you're asked to be faithful with what you have and the abilities and talents that God has given you, and you're going to be accountable for what you are capable of doing and what abilities God has given you. He says, I need you to use the information you have and use the opportunities you have that God gives, and then you're going to receive the well done, thou good and faithful servant, and that is what we're after, that's what we're looking for. He tells the story of the, of the, 
uh, men with the talents, one with five and one with two, and both of those ended up with, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because they had used the opportunities and abilities that God had given them. The last one said, I was afraid, and Jesus says, no, you were lazy. I, I, I was afraid because you were a harsh man. He goes, no, you were, you were just slothful. You were lazy. Jesus then tells the disciples, I need you to know, if you haven't figured it out by now, that my coming sparked a uh, fire of division. My arrival is bringing trouble, not peace. And he says, um, I have a role to fulfill, and I'm going to see it through to the very end. You probably thought I was here to unite Israel and to bring peace and to overthrow Rome. Um, not at this time. And then we looked as he directed the Pharisees, he said, you're so smart. He says, you, you're able to, to see things with your eyes and discern things with your mind. And he says, you can, you can tell when, uh, when a storm is coming. You can tell when it's going to be hot and warm. And you can dis discern the weather. And you, you use your senses and your eyes and your thought process. And why can't you see the truth? Before it's too late, you better consider the possibility that you might be wrong about me. And then we talked about somebody having a horrible death. And a horrible death does not mean you're a horrible sinner or a horrible person. But he says, what's worse is somebody who refuses to repent, refuses to change their mind about me, then you're going to have a horrible eternity. And what's worse, a horrible physical death or a horrible eternity. And then more time is granted. And again, thinking along the lines of maybe Jesus has one more year of ministry, one more time I'm going to come to Jerusalem, one more time I'm going to give you Pharisees the chance, because God is not willing that any should perish. Well, as we look at chapter 13, verse number 10, nothing really has changed. He warns the Pharisees, he wants them to respond, but they do not. And you'll see this very, very quickly in verse number 10, where he says that Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. Okay? Now, again, just, just to cl clarify this for you, as far as the Jews are concerned, synagogues and temples, we get that mixed up today because... I, I, grew up, I grew up in a Jewish community, and it, I, I think 49% you know, of the people I knew were Catholic, 49% of the people I knew were Jewish, <laughs> there was only 2% of the rest of us. And, um, but as far as the, the Jewish places of worship, they were called such and such a temple or such and such a synagogue and so forth and so on. But in the, Old or in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about the synagogue, it's talking about a, a place similar to the local church. Every town, every city had one. If there were at least 50 Jewish families, you had a synagogue in town. And a synagogue was a place of teaching and instruction. The Pharisees ran the synagogues. That's important that you know. The Pharisees were the teachers. They were the pastors, okay? Uh, this is the, I'm the Pharisee, okay? I'm the guy that's up here explaining the scriptures to you, reading the scriptures to you. The Pharisees were the teachers in the synagogue. And they did things similar to what we do. They, they took up a collection. Uh, they recited songs. They had responsive reading. Uh, you know, uh, even what was kind of interesting, the process that they had was one, for example, was um, when they would, stand, they would stand up to read from Scripture. They would sit down when they were sharing their opinions of Scripture so the people would know the difference between the two. And I thought, well, that's pretty Pretty interesting. I'd be sitting down a lot, I guess. I don't, uh, but, but the idea is they were the teachers. But the, and there was many, many synagogues, many, many churches or synagogues all, the, all, all over the place. But there was one temple, 
That was in Jerusalem. That was a place of worship. That's where they would bring their sacrifice. The Sadducees ran the temple, interestingly enough. Uh, there were priests, of course, that did as well, but the Sadducees ran the operating things and the operating expenses of the temple. They're the ones who would be these money changers in the temple. They're, they would be the ones that you buy the lamb from. They would be the ones that you pay the temple tax to. The Sadducees were involved with the temple in Jerusalem. The Pharisees were all over the place uh, teaching and so forth. But here, Jesus finds himself teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, verse 11 says, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And it was uh, bowed together or bowed together, either one, and, and, it, and, it could in no wise, uh, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called unto her and said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Uh, this idea, she has this infirmity, it says a spirit of infirmity was upon her. And, and the way this is described is um, uh, she's had it for 18 years, and it's, and it's like a paralysis where it's like she can't straighten back up. It, it's, it's like, uh, you know, we, we've seen things, people with like rheumatoid arthritis and stuff where, you're, where your fingers get so stuck in a certain place and you can't straighten them out. Um, she was crippled, or, or her bones and body was locked in place almost uh, in a curled up position. It's called a spirit of infirmity. If you look down to verse number 16, uh, when Jesus is trying to talk about the healing of this woman, he says, Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years? And so, again, kind of almost indicating the fact that there may be some kind of demon possession that was involved with this as well. Uh, there had, you know, sometimes it was hearing, sometimes it was sight, uh, and, and other things. But here, this. Uh, is once again credited to Satan being under Satan's control or whatever. But the spirit of infirmity, uh, she could not lift up her head. She had no freedom of movement. She could not uh, look up. She could not stand up. She could not stretch out. Everything is kind of pulled inward. Uh, what's amazing, to, there's two things that are amazing to me here. Number one is that she's at the church service. <laughs> she's at the service. Number two is there's no record where she even asked to be healed. It's not she did not come necessarily for the purpose of healing. She was just there, okay? And, and again, you know, somebody probably had to bring her, but at the same time, uh, you know, every excuse on the planet not to be in God's house, and she was there. Uh, behold, there was a woman which had, 11, verse 11, a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, was bowed together, abode together, and would in no wise lift herself up. 18 years. Jesus calls her. He saw her. He called her. He spoke to her. He laid his hands on her, and he healed her. Verse number 13, immediately she was made straight. Everything straightened back out. This, uh, and, and what I'm assuming from that is my, my fingers and my hands that I cannot, haven't bent forward in a long time are now restored. My arm that was paralyzed in something like this is now free to move. Everything, there's now freedom of movement. She had been bound for 18 years. She is now loosed by the Son of God. Uh, her body is now in alignment. She glorifies God. Her immediate reaction, immediately she was made straight and immediately she glorified God. Uh, and notice the response in verse number 14. The ruler of the synagogue, most likely, it does not say so, but most likely a Pharisee. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. 
Now, the word indignation is funny, and we, we use it often to uh, justify our anger. <laughs> and we call it righteous indignation. I, I have a right to be angry. This is, rah, you know. Um, most times we don't. Um, <laughs> most times the only person that has the right to be righteously indignant is God himself. Okay. Most of us are, you know, we're hurt or pride's hurt or something like that. But indignation is like I'm angry at something and I have a cause and I have a reason to be. Um, and it says he felt like he had a right to be angry. Uh, and, and should not the response be the opposite? He's the ruler of the synagogue. She is one of his parishioners, if you please, one of his church attenders. Jesus has now come and healed her. Should, not, should it not be like, oh man, this is so awesome. This is so great, man. I cannot believe Jesus did this for you. This is so good. This is so wonderful. Uh, you know, because it's, are we not supposed to have a love one for another? When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one weeps, we all weep. Is that not how it's supposed to be? Is this not? Is, is this not supposed to be? You know, I am so excited. This is so great. Well, where's the joy? I don't see any joy in this. The ruler of the synagogue answers with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. <gasps> Again, please, please, please remember, there were certain rules for the Sabbath, but most of the rules that were here were invented by the Pharisees themselves. They invented these Sabbath day rules. And one, of course, was no work. And, of course, they're assuming that uh, you know, Jesus had to do work or to do this healing. This healing was work or effort. Now, may I suggest to you, uh, if God is the one who created the heavens and the earth, and he blinks or speaks and things come into existence... How much effort did Jesus have to put forth to heal this woman? Oh, she's healed. So, I don't know if it qualifies even as work, okay? Because this is God, okay? But do you notice, the, do you notice a, a discrepancy here? They do not fuss at him for teaching on the Sabbath day. But they do fuss at him for healing, on the Sabbath day. You notice that? Because what I'm doing right now is not work. Requires no effort whatsoever. How come one's okay and the other one's not okay? Okay. Well, because they, guess what they do on the Sabbath day? Guess what every Pharisee does on the Sabbath day? Teaches. I could argue the fact, when you talk about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, well, I, first of all, I have to argue the fact that Sunday's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath really is from Friday at uh, sundown till Saturday at sundown, okay? But it is the Lord's Day, and we're supposed to respect the Lord's Day. I don't know, but I work harder on Sunday than any other day I can think of. <laughs> we will have uh, Sunday morning, Sunday school, uh, Sunday night. I've got a church board meeting today. Good grief. Okay. Um, <laughs> where's the day of rest? Okay. They're fussing about something that is absolutely ridiculous. And Jesus is going to point that out to them. Six days. His indignation says, Ha, you healed on the Sabbath. I can't believe it. There, are there not six days in which men should be healed? And not on the Sabbath day? They're fussing again about the fact that he healed on the Sabbath day. Why not some other? Why not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, whatever? Why does it have to be today? And uh, now one... You could say Jesus did it on purpose, <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus could have healed the lady the next day. 
but also the opportunities. I'm, I'm here, she's there. I, I'm teaching in the synagogue. These people are here, she's here. What's wrong with right now? What's wrong with taking this opportunity? And so in indignation, he goes, there's, there's six other days. He doesn't have to do it on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him and said, and by the way, this is in the presence of others, um, and said, thou hypocrite. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead them away to watering? Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound lo 18 years, be loosed from bondage on the Sabbath day? He said, did you not, before you came to the service this morning, did you not loose your animals from their binding and from their stalls and relieve their burdens off their back, and did you not give them the opportunity to drink water and have refreshment throughout this day? <laughs> you care more about your animals than you do about people. Is she not one of your own? Is she not a daughter of Abraham? Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham? She's one of your own. Satan is bound for 18 years. You, you want us to wait till tomorrow? Did you not loosen water your animals? Are not people more important than animals? Are not people more important than policy? You are indeed false shepherds. You care not for the sheep. If you were a true shepherd and you cared for the sheep, you would be glad that one of your sheep is now healed. You would be glad that it had taken place. But no, you want this woman to be miserable one more day. One more day in misery. Let's fix it. You could have fixed her tomorrow. Wait one more day. One more day in Satan's control. One more day bound by uh, bound by sin. One more day uh, crippled and unable to move. Why not one more day? My question to you is why be one more day in Satan's control when you can be free today? Why spend one more day outside of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ when you can get that matter settled today? Oh, wait, do it tomorrow. Jesus healed her now. Now. Why be one more day in Satan's control? Now, the reaction, I love the reaction in verse number 17. And when he had thus said, because basically he's, he's speaking in the synagogue. He's the guest speaker. Jesus is the guest speaker, and the guy who runs the place goes, Okay, well, this, this is not right. This is wrong. He never should have done this. And publicly, basically ridiculed the guest speaker. The guest speaker turns around and says, well, you're the hypocrite. Is this not the way it's supposed to go? Notice this response in 17. And when he had said these words, all his adversaries were ashamed. That means there's more than one. But all of those who took the side of the ruler of the synagogue go, oh, this were ashamed. Uh, they, which means they're sorry they're on that side. <laughs> sorry they made that choice. And all the other people rejoiced for all the glorious things which were done by him. They rejoiced. Now, verses 18 through 21, I'm going to give you a little different spin to these verses than what you may have heard your entire life. <laughs> um, Jesus said unto them, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? Now, I want you to see, again, 
you have to understand the context here, and I want you to see what's just happened. The ruler of the synagogue, who is pretty much convinced he's a Pharisee, he's going to be a part of the kingdom of God, and he's petty over this little, oh, this is not right, you're healing on the set. And Jesus said, what, what exactly is the kingdom of God? What exactly is it? Then he said, what, what, what can I liken unto, and, and what, what can I think that kind of resembles it? Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? He says, it's kind of like a grain of mustard seed. Which a man took and cast in his garden. And it grew and waxed and became, the word wax means, became a great tree, and fowls of the air lodged in the branches thereof. Again, he said, How else can I say this, sir, like in the kingdom of God? It, it, it's, it's like a laven, which a, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And then it says, He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying throughout Jerusalem. I'm going to suggest to you that he's saying this is your version of what the kingdom of God is like, not mine. In Matthew chapter 13, it shares the same thing, and it's called the kingdom of heaven there. And a lot of times people try to differentiate between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven is anything under, you know, anything that God has, you know, anything under the heavens. But here, I, I think what Jesus is doing is he's looking at this Pharisee, and he's looking at him and saying, you know what, how can I describe the kingdom? Well, to you, it's, it's a mustard seed that has somehow grown into a great tree, and it's big, but all things considered, it's a pitiful tree. It's not solid, it's not substantial, and he says lots of birds will dwell there. Uh, you see the, the picture on the left here? That's a, that's a mustard seed that's gone wild and crazy, okay? I, my wife and I grew a uh, lettuce tree. Um, actually, two of them. We, we grew two lettuce trees. Um, I'm not kidding. I, that was not the intent, but that's how it turned out. Uh, we had this wonderful, wonderful head lettuce. It grew wonderfully, and we, we actually had more lettuce than we could possibly handle from just, from just two of these plants. And the next time I looked out, the thing, it was a tower this big. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen a lettuce tree before. Well, there's not much to a lettuce tree. <laughs> and actually, the wind blew one day and knocked over my lettuce tree. Um, there's not much to a um, mustard seed tree either. It's kind of scraggly. It can be, it's big, and it's kind of big and amazing. And he says the birds live there. And then the other one is, it's, it's like leaven. All these other parables, all these other teachings, all these other things that Jesus uses, when he talks about birds, he's talking about the devil and the devil's crowd. We, we sow seeds by the wayside, and, and, and the birds come and devour them up. Are the birds good or bad? <laughs> these are... These are, these are birds. The birds are bad. And we need to get all the leaven out because leaven is a picture of sin. He says, your kingdom of God is filled with birds that take away the truth, snatch away the truth, and are basically you know, vultures and, and, and ravens and... Um, uh, you know, they... they take away. 
Uh, the, the leaven is, you can't see it at first, but it's rotten. It's evil. Uh, the more it grows. Today's church, today's religion, let's take religion today around the world. Most people think it's good. Oh, it's good. And we have all these church services, all these different religions. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Satan's birds in these religions stealing the truth. It seems good, but there's evil within. Jesus says, in Timothy, or Paul says in Timothy, when he writes to him, he says, in the last days, they will be people that uh, uh, professing godliness, but without the power thereof. And so I think 18 through 21 is a slam on what this man, the Pharisee, thinks is the kingdom of God. And he says, your kingdom is full of uh, fowls of the air and leaven. And then he clarifies it even a little bit more for me, because in verse number 23, he begins to describe what the true kingdom is all about. Then one of them said, as he began, continued teaching this, Lord, if, if, if this is right, this kingdom you're talking about and this salvation you're talking about, are there few that be saved? It, it, it seems like not a lot of people are going to get this. And is it just a few that be saved? And he said to them, I, want, I need you to strive to enter in at the straight gate, the narrow gate. For many will say unto you, for many, for many I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He said, there's few that find it. You need to look for the straight gate. You need to look for the narrow way. The broad way is not the right way. The way everybody else is going is not the right way. Pretty much, if the majority is headed one direction, you probably should stop and think, I need to go somewhere else. If everybody is in agreement, then maybe, you know, now some of you in your brain are thinking, he's talking about the vaccine. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. If the world so badly wants you to do it, I don't know, I just so badly don't want to. Look at where the crowd's going. He said, he said they're not going to find the right thing. They're not going to find the right way. He said, you need to look for the narrow gate. You need to look for the narrow way. And there's few that, be that, or few that will find it. You need to seek to enter in. There's going to be some effort involved. Do you know how many, how many people will be saved? I think there'll be multitudes and multitudes, millions and millions and millions of people in heaven. I, I really do think so. I think there's going to be lots. However, let's stop and think for a minute. How many people are there in the world today? Next one, please. There it is. Really, 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 really close to 8 billion people on this planet. Now, I, I can't imagine 8 billion people because I live in Factoryville, okay? Um, matter of fact, I can't imagine 8 people on Factoryville Road at the same time, okay? Other than Sundays or Wednesdays, I don't know, all right? Um, 8 billion people. China has 1.5 billion. That's the largest country in the world. India is next with 1.4. Believe it or not, we are third, and that would be what I would call a distant third. Literally, again, I, I, I always say 5% of the people live in the United States. It's 4.2%. 4.2% of the people in the world live in the United States of America. 
So again, if you happen to live here or be born here, then that is certainly a great honor and a great privilege for thus that to be the truth. But that's a lot of people, okay? I think there'll be millions of, millions of people in heaven. But compared to the size of the world, it's going to be just a few. Just to be a few. And so he says there's few that be to find it. And then he says... The opportunity will not be open all the time. He says, when, verse 25, once the master of the house has risen up and he hath shut to the door and you begin to stand outside and you knock at the door saying, Lord, 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 open to us. He will answer and say to you, I don't even know where you are. Well, we're out here. Where's that? The gate is narrow and many will respond too late. Once the master rises up to judge or he's made the determination that I'm going to shut the door, the door is shut. If you know the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 7, there is one door in that ark. Who shut the door? Who shut the door of the ark? God shut the door. I suggest to you, I I, I don't think it happened this way. Next one, please. Okay, go back where you are. There you go. Uh, I, I, I don't think it was this way, but you know, sometimes people go like, oh, were there people that were you know, banging on the door trying to get in and all the rest? I don't think so. I think they were totally caught by surprise, and I think the water from fountains of the deep and the, and the windows of heaven opening up, I think they were pretty much done right away. I don't think they floundered for much time at all. But even if they were, Noah could not open that door because God shut it. Oh, Noah's heartless. Open the door. Let these people in. If it's possible, or even if that scenario is anywhere near true, God shut the door, not Noah. The opportunity was closed. And then he says, I don't even know where you are. Obviously, you're outside. You're not in here, so where are you? (laughs) You're not here. Here's the sad part. Here's the worst part. Verse number 26, many will think they're okay. Uh, many will miss it because it's too narrow for them or, or, or they won't see the straight gate or they won't respond to it. They're looking for a, a more broader way. Uh, and again, I've said to you before, at work, uh, if you try to witness at work and people know you go to church and people maybe know, man, not only do you go to church, man, you go to church on even Sunday night you go to church? Really? prayer meeting? Seriously? Man, you're at church all the time. And, and uh, you say, well, I, I, I teach Sunday school, or I'm on the board, and they're like, whoa. There is no one. There is no one you work with. There is no one that is going to give you a hard time about that. They won't. They, they might, might even admire you or think, wow, this is great. You know, well, that's what you, you want to do. That's how you want to waste your time. That's up to you. But the second you tell them, that the only way to go to heaven is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The second you tell them that that is the only way, that is the narrow way, this is what you, you, have, to, you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not going to heaven. Then all of a sudden they bristle up. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, are, you, are you saying, I'm not going to heaven? Have you accepted Jesus? Well, no. Well, I haven't, well, you tell me I'm going to hell. I can't believe that. And now they bristle because you've made the way narrow. You've made one way. I am the way, the truth, the life. As soon as you focus it on just Jesus and Jesus alone, now now you'll feel it. (laughs) Now they'll mock you. Now they'll give you a hard time because you've made it clear that there's only one way to heaven. 
And they don't like that. They bristle at that. God shuts the doors too late. Many will think they're okay. Verse 26 says, and they'll begin to say, hey, hey, listen, we've eaten and drunk in thy presence. And, 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 and remember, you're you, you teaching in our streets. Then he'll say unto them, I tell you, he says, I know you not. I don't know where you're from, and I don't know who you are. Depart from me, all you that work iniquity. In Matthew, it simply says, um, depart from me, I never knew you. Many think they're okay. Well, well wait a minute. <laughs> Let's get this straight. Jesus, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I came to see you. I traveled a long way to see you. And, I, and man, I, I saw some of your miracles. I listened to your teaching. Matter, matter of fact, I, I think two old days, I, I went to a couple of your seminars, and I, I sat through all that stuff. And, and uh, I, I've, I've been with you. I've seen you. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know who you are. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. <laughs> but, 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 but I know you. Exposure to the truth is not enough. Let's go back to Noah. Hey, hey, Noah. Uh, hey, listen. Oh, hey, open the door, man. Uh, hey, we, we saw you building that boat. Hey, hey, we even sold you supplies. We, we, we heard your message. Hey, hey, we believe it now. Yeah, because you're wet. Hey, Lord, Lord, wait. <laughs> I'm an American. I'm from the United States of America. Hey, remember the, the nation who is one nation under God and God we trust? Remember us guys? We're the good guys. Uh, hey, I, I, I've prayed. Matter of fact, I, I've, I've even given money to the church and stuff like that. I, I gave money one time. I gave money to help uh, some kid go on a missions trip. I, 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 I read my Bible. I, I go to church. I, I, you know, hey, I, listen, I, I, I sang in the choir. I serve on the board. I, I listen, I, I even put my kids in Christian school. They asked me once to teach Sunday school, and then they thought better of it. <laughs> uh, no. um, I know. I have in my Bible, I, here's the date right, yeah, right here where, where I, I, I did something. Lord, come on. <laughs> Many think they're okay. But he says, I never knew you. What? Being close, being associated with the truth, being around the truth doesn't mean it sinks in or you accept it or it's part of who you are. I don't know what a similar thing would be of you, but if you go to the nursery at a hospital and look in the window and see all the babies, it doesn't mean you're a father. You have to have a relationship with Christ. You can't just be close to it. You just can't be around it and just say, well, I, I, no, you have to know him. You have to trust him. You have to say, if I'm going to heaven, Jesus is the one that's going to get me there. Man, I am in a mess. Without Jesus Christ, I am in a mess. I am headed for hell. I'm going to be apart from God forever. I can't do anything to save myself. I have to rely totally on him and what he's done for me. And if you're unwilling to do that, he says to these friends, listen to me, he says, you guys, if you do not... If you do not come, I am the gate, I am the door. If you do not come through this door, you're not going to get in. And, and, and there's going to be a day when God shuts that door. And then you're not going to get in. You can knock all you want, but you're not coming in. And you think you're all right, but you're not all right. Just because you know me does not mean you're in. 
By the way, there's lots and lots of people you, <laughs> that you know that don't know you. And he says in verse number 28, it's not going to be good. It's going to be sad. You're going to end up weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to be very, very sad about this because what's going to happen is going to be weeping. Gnashing of teeth is the grinding of teeth or biting down in pain. It's, it's one of those, like again, the Old West was like, you know, you know, bite on this, uh, you know, bite on this stick or bite on this whatever it is. Uh, we're going to pull the bullet out of your side, and you know that's the grinding of teeth. It's like Argh! weeping and grinding of teeth. He says, "What's going to happen is you're going to you're going to come by, and you're going to weep and you're going to cry because what's going to happen is you're going to look in, and you're going to see Abraham's there." Isaac's there, Jacob's there, all the prophets are there. They're in the kingdom of God, and you are kicked out. You're thrust out. You're not part of it. And even this phrase, thrust out, means you think you're in this kingdom. Oh, we're, in, uh, we're all good. We're all in the tree. We're all in the little, uh, um, you know, the mustard seed tree. We're all good. Nope, there's some birds in there. They're going to get thrown out. There's some leaven in there that's going to get ripped out. You're going to be thrust out of the tree. Many, verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 29. They shall come. Others will come from the north, the south, or the east, the west, the north, the south. And they'll sit down in the kingdom. And behold, they that are last shall be first... And there are firsts which shall be last. Many will make it, but not you. You'll be able to look in and it'd be very, very sad. Because like, man, I'd love to be in there. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. I should be right there with Abraham. You know, no, you're not. Now, specifically, again, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to these Jewish leaders. He says, you've been invited first. You've got the first invitation. All of Judaism, all of Israel got the first invitation. I'm here as the Messiah. I'm here to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come first to the house of Israel. I've come to you folks first. I've offered it to you first. You'll see it, but you're not going to be a part of it. Other people will come, north, south, east, west, from every compass direction, all these nations around. I'm going to invite them you were invited first. I'm going to invite them, and they're going to come. And some of you that were invited first will be the last to make it. You were invited first. Skip to verse number 35. I'm going to try to make sense of this, pull some things together for you if I can. Behold, your house, house of Israel, and you leaders, the house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you will not see me until the time come when you will say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. What is he talking about? Putting all this stuff together. Man. <laughs> There's no fruit on this tree at all. Nothing. I guess we'll just cut down the tree. Oh, no, no, give it, give it more time. We'll, we'll, we'll dig around it and we'll weed it and we'll, we'll fertilize it. Just give us a little bit more time. Just give one more season. Just give us more time. Jesus says, all right. But you need to seek for the way. You need to find the way. The way is narrow. 
I am the door. You have to come to Christ for me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You have to come through me to get to the kingdom of God. And the door, and you guys can't see it. Evidently, for you Pharisees, the door's too small for you to see. Now, also, Jesus calls himself in one place. He says, he says I'm a, uh, the, the stone that should be the foundation of your spiritual building, that cornerstone, he said, you trip over. It's like a stumbling block. It's like you didn't even see it, and that's the most important thing, and you didn't even see it. And one day, God's going to shut that door, and, then it's, and it's too late. And you're going to want to get in, but it's, you, you can't because it's too late. And, and, and some of you think you're all right, and you're not all right. Just being associated with the truth doesn't mean you've accepted the truth. Just because you know me or saw me or heard me teach doesn't mean that you're going to be in the kingdom. And one day when you're on the outside looking in, I'm going to tell you, you were invited first. Lots of other people are going to come and join me from all the nations surrounding Israel. <laughs> and you're going to be left out. But he opens the door here at the end when he says, those that were, some that were invited first will come last. Some will still come. And literally what he's talking about is the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, the door for Israel became shut. And, but the door is still open to all the world. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But God's dealing with Israel was finished, was done. Until the tribulation period, which is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And then God again opens the book, and they have seven years where God is dealing with the nation of Israel. And through tri tribulation and trial and difficulty and problems, there is a remnant of Jewish people that at the very end of the tribulation, at the very end when Antichrist is coming to destroy Jerusalem and destroy this remnant, at the very end they cry out and they beg for Jesus to come. And the heavens open and it breaks through and Jesus comes, King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, I'll come back when you beg me to come back. There'll be a time when you want me, but you know, you'll be looking for me, you'll be wanting me, you'll be yearning for me to come back, then I'll come back. And Israel as a nation will be saved during that tribulation period because they will not receive the mark of the beast. They will know that the, that, that the Antichrist is a fraud. And that's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble because it is not good for the people of Israel. It's not good for those who refuse the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. But there's going to be a time when they're like begging and pleading, oh Lord, we need you. Please come, please come. And pff, the heavens open. But he says, I invited you guys a long time ago. <laughs> I invited you a long time ago. In verse 34, going backwards just a hair. Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets that I sent. You stone them that I've sent to you. Oh, how often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her brood under her wings, and you would not. Came unto his own, and his own received him not. Message for us, <laughs> if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, why be miserable one more day? Why be bound in sin and why let Satan have control one more day? Why, why allow him one more day? Let's, let's get it taken care of. Let's get loosed from this today. 
trust Christ today. There's many who are not going to be a part of God's kingdom. There is only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Many will wait too long, and the door will be shut. Many think they're okay, but they're not. Depart from me, you work as iniquity, I never knew you. Many will be on the outside looking in. And if you're on the outside looking in, there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. question is, where are you? Where will you be? Where will you be? Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. A clear, strong message to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, begging them to reconsider their position, begging them to think about their relationship with him, begging them to reconsider the fact that he is the Messiah sent from God lest they miss out on the kingdom of God altogether. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as personal Savior, if they thought in their mind, in their heart, if I, if I die today, I don't know. I don't know whether I'll end up in heaven. I, I don't know whether I'll end up in hell. I, I don't know what happens. But I'd like to know. Let's not go another day. Let's get it taken care of today. those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, may we be renewed again in our desire to see people come to Christ and not be ashamed, to boldly stand for him. <laughs> it is a narrow way. It is a narrow road. Even after you go through the door, it's still a narrow path. May we stay on the path. May we be a testimony for you. In Jesus' name, amen.